0: So we're in a sermon series talking about setting goals as families. What kind of goals can we set? And what is the goal of parenting? What is the goal of parenting? Is it to get your kids through school and graduated? Is it for them to find a good spouse and marry and give you lots of grandkids? Is it to somehow get them out of the house in a way that doesn't involve handcuffs or body bag? What is the goal of parenting? And certainly, that's not all that God asks of us as parents. If if those are our goals, I'd argue we're setting the bar pretty low. George Barna, in his book, Revolutionary Parenting, gives us some bad news that many Christian parents aren't aiming for the goals that God has set for us as parents. And he gives a good indication about what those goals are, what it takes for us to be successful parents, he writes this. He says, As parents, our job is to raise spiritual champions. That does not mean we are supposed to ignore the significance of developing our children's intellectual, emotional, and physical dimensions. But it suggests that we have to see the bigger picture of God's priorities and raise our children in light of His standards, not ours, or society's. And he adds that Christian parents, sadly, are failing. Failing. By God's standards. And, and if we were to gauge ourselves and how we're, well we're doing in this regard, I think that the outcome would startle us. In a recent study that the Barna Institute did on Generation Z, which are children born between 1999 and 2015, they found among many things that among Generation Z, only 4% have what we would consider a biblical worldview. Only 4%. That's the fewest of any generation in American history. They're the most biblically illiterate generation, which means that today's teens are more confused than ever about moral and spiritual truth. Almost a quarter, almost 25% of Gen Z strongly believes, quote, that what is morally right and wrong changes over time based on society. For example, only 34% strongly believe that lying is immoral. immoral. Only 34% believe that. Now, moms and dads, these statistics can serve as a wake-up call for us. Uh, We need to understand that God's goals and standards for successful parenting are far greater and carry far more consequences than the world's standards and goals. But up on the screen you'll see a slide that gives us some good news. The good news is That among Christians in Generation Z, they are strong in their faith. You'll see that they have a high view of Scripture, that for Generation Z Christians, it is their top source for moral truth. 39% said the Bible was their top source for moral truth. 96% said they're more likely to believe that it is the Word of God. Uh, This is compared to uh, uh, the millennial generation. Uh, And then 96% believe that the Bible contains everything a person needs to know to live a meaningful and full life. That's good news. And what this tells us is that when we invest in this generation, when we invest spiritually in them, when we disciple this generation, we can reap some amazing dividends. Parents, our children have been given to us for just a few short years, so we might help them mature into disciples who are knowing, believing, acting, and becoming more and more like Jesus. Children are a gift. Amen? Amen? Children are a gift. And parenting is a holy calling. And God's Word equips us with everything we need to set spiritual goals for our children, to raise them, to, to grow to love, know, and follow Jesus Christ. And I want us to specifically look at a very familiar passage of Scripture this morning, uh, one I've, I've read from many times, preached on before, that helps us to think about setting spiritual goals so we can help our children be successful. How can we be successful parents? By helping our children to be spiritually successful. This is one that I read at every parent-child dedication because it not only contains great truth, but it sure does give us some very practical things that we can do. So turn with me, your Bibles, to Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. That's going to be your fifth book there in the Old Testament. We're going to look at verses one through nine. Now, the book of Deuteronomy is basically a sermon that Moses preaches to the children of Israel as they are about to cross over the Jordan River into the Promised Land. They've been wandering in the wilderness for a generation. And all those, except for two, all those uh, Israelites that left Egypt have died. And it's the next generation that's about to go in. So Moses preaches a sermon to kind of sum up their history, to remind them of who they are, of what God has done for them, of all that He has provided for them, and what God expects of them. And so we read this passage beginning in verse 1, Deuteronomy 6. This is the command, the statutes and ordinances, the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land you're about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all His statutes and commands that I'm giving you, your son and your grandson, and so that you may have a long life. Listen, Israel. And be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly. Because the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for the reading of Your Word. We're thankful, Lord, that You have provided this Scripture for us and we just pray that Your Holy Spirit would use it to speak to our hearts, to equip us, to encourage us and challenge us as parents, as grandparents, uh, to be able to be the kinds of people you would have us to be, to raising our children, to think, act, and become more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, this is one of the foundational passages for the Jewish people. It's like their constitution. It defines who God is and who they are and how they are to love him and live for him and follow him as his people. And I find it remarkable that this passage that we just read, this foundational core passage for the Jewish people and and for us as well as as believers in, in in the Word of God, so much of it deals with parenting. So many of the words in this are about the responsibility of moms and dads to their children. How we raise our children is directly connected to our identity as a people, to our purpose, to to our relationship with God, one affects the other in foundational ways that we often overlook. And and I often refer to this passage as the great commission for Christian parents because that's what it is. It's a commission for us for how we are to raise our children. And if we want to succeed at raising them to know, love, and follow Jesus, we need to do the right things as outlined in this passage. And I want us to look at, at those right things. The first is that successful parents live right. We see this in verses 1 through 3. Successful parents live right. Successful parenting always begins, first and foremost, with our relationship with God. Moms and dads, we must be walking in a right relationship with God if we want to have an eternal impact in the hearts of our children. And in these three verses, we see right living involves three things. First, it involves the right reverence. We have to have the right reverence to fear the Lord. Now, what does that mean? We read that passage, fear the Lord, we hear it all the time, uh, but it seems kind of counterintuitive because in John's uh, first epistle, he tells us that perfect love casts out fear. So, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, it means that we walk with an awareness of and in awe for God's glory, for His majesty, for His holiness. Fearing the Lord is about having humility. It's about recognizing that we don't have all the answers, we aren't self-sufficient, We aren't God. He is, and we need Him, right? It means that we parent in God's wisdom and strength. It means that we have a holy holy awe for who He is, a, a gratitude for all that He does. To fear God basically means that He's in charge, He's number one, and we recognize that we belong to Him. It's all about your perspective and your posture, having that proper orientation toward God so that our lives are submitted under His Lordship and that certainly involves the way we parent our children. A godly parent who fears the Lord puts the Lord's will above all other considerations. So we have to have the right reverence. And because we have the right reverence, we're going to have the right response. If we fear the Lord, then we're going to obey what He tells us. We're going to follow His statutes and commands. And there is no better witness for children than to see that their parents take the Bible seriously, that God's Word is the rule for the family. God's standards must become our standards as we build our lives on His design for our lives and for our families. So when God speaks, we respond by doing the things He tells us to do and refraining from the things He forbids us to do. And that's how we can teach our children to obey God's Word by showing that we have a proper respect for and response to what God says. And the result of that right reverence and that right response is a right reward. We will be blessed. God promises Israel there in verse 3 that He's going to bless them with this land flowing with milk and honey. He's going to reward their lives. And the same holds true for us today. God promises to bless those who keep His Word and follow in His ways. Psalm 1, 1 1-3 is a great passage of Scripture to commit to memory, to look at and study as a family. It says in the first three verses, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, if we're going to be blessed, we're going to delight in the Lord's instructions and meditate on it day and night. It says that that kind of person is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and whatever he does prospers. Children need to see that God is going to do what He says He's going to do. Do your children know by observing your life that God blesses those who are generous and faithful stewards, those who tithe, that God's going to bless them? Do they see that God's going to bless them if they're honest and if they're lovers of the truth? Does God see that He blesses those who are faithful to Him? Our children learn what they observe in our life and they need to know that God blesses faithful people. They need to see us enjoying the great blessings of the Lord so that they will want the same in their own lives. So let's show them that serving God is the only way to live. Let's show them that obedience to the Lord pays off. Maybe not immediately because sometimes uh, it does cost us something to be faithful to God, but in the long term they need to see that long obedience and, and that God will bless that. We need to show them that God's way is the best way. And listen, you can't teach them to honor the Lord if you don't honor the Lord. You can't teach your children to love the church if all they hear from you is complaining about the church and the way things are done. They can't learn from you to be faithful if they don't see that you also are faithful. You can't teach them to love the Lord if all you're doing is encouraging them to love the priorities of the world. And that's why God transitions from this Outer demonstration of living right to the inner motivation of loving right. See, successful parents live right because successful parents love right. We see that in verses 4 through 5. And two things about that love. First, in verse 4, the focus of our love, the focus of our love is the Lord. This verse is what's called the Shema. And it is a passage of Scripture that Israelites recite or Jewish people recite uh, several times a day. They put it in, on little scrolls and put it in these little boxes on their doorways as they come in and go out to serve as a reminder to them that their lives are to be built on the Word of God, that they're to focus on God. It reminds them that the Lord is the end and the beginning of life. He watches over their going out and their coming in. Or as we sang in one of our songs, Jesus said in Revelation 22, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The focus of our love is that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's one Lord God. There's one person that deserves and is worthy of all of our greatest love of our hearts. So when it says, listen, Israel, or hear, O Israel, it's like it's saying, listen and don't forget. Listen and remember. Because we need that daily reminders, don't we? Because we do tend to forget. We do tend to lose focus. Our priorities easily shift in the hustle and bustle of daily life. We need reminding that life is more than politics or possessions or popularity or power. Life is all about a person and that is Jesus Christ. That's the focus of our life. And so if we start with anything but God, if we aim for anyone but God, then we're going to miss the mark. We're going to always end up in the wrong place. And parents will end up dragging our children there with us. We begin and we focus on the Lord. And see, God knew that. God knew that as His children enter into this promised land of milk and honey, that if they didn't remember whose they were, if they didn't remember all that God had done for them, if they didn't really know and love Him, they would end up trusting in the milk and the honey rather than Him. And they would take those blessings of God and turn them into idols to replace God. And the same thing happens to us whenever we take the focus off what is eternal and we put it on what is temporary. We can do the same thing. And it's easy to do. It's easy to lose that focus. It's easy to pick up the world's standards, the world's yardstick to measure success for our children. And we really do begin to think that the most important thing we can do for our kids is help them make the grade, get the scholarship, choose the right career, marry the right spouse. And listen, those things are important. But only in so much as they come underneath the most important thing. And that is to love and follow the Lord our God. That is the focus. Moms and dads, we need to find ways to keep Jesus in front of our kids and in front of ourselves. We need to stay on target and aim our children for Jesus to Jesus before we launch them into the world. And one of the greatest gifts that you can give your children is to teach them by word and deed that nothing and no one should come before God. He must be the focus of our love. But what kind of love are we giving them? Is it a Sunday-only kind of love? Is it a when-it's-convenient kind of love? You see, the focus of our love is the Lord, but then he goes on in verse 5 to tell us about the fullness of our love. We don't just love Him in, in part, we are to love Him in whole. Moses here makes an important connection between obedience and love, reminding Israel of the relational aspect of their faith. He's connecting the dots to give us a better understanding of the big picture, that God isn't interested in behavior modification. He wants heart transformation. He's not after a people who are going to mindlessly follow rules and rituals. He wants a people who are going to follow Him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's not about rules and rituals. It's about a relationship with our Creator. But listen, we as parents, educators, churches, we tend to fall into the trap of settling for behavior modification, right? We want our children to do the right thing. And if they do the right thing, we reward the right behavior. If if they don't, we punish it, right? And the problem with this is it can create a what's-in-it-for-me mentality instead of a what's-the-right-thing-to-do-here mindset. That's what we want our kids to do, right? Now, that's not to say there's not a place for positive or negative reinforcement. There is a place for that. But only in so much as it leads to an internal motivation, a heart motivation change Our goals should never stop with just modifying their behavior. It should always be for character building heart transformation. See Moses, he's not fighting for he's fighting for so much more than just a lifestyle or practices or religious rules. he's fighting for the heart of a nation and listen, we are in a fight for the heart of the next generation. It's for their hearts. As I said, Moses spends most of this sermon talking about Israel's relationship with God and he says in verses 20 and 21 of this chapter, when your son asks you in the future what is the meaning of the decrees, statutes and ordinances that the Lord your God has commanded you, tell him we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. Moses doesn't say, lay out for them the logical reasons why they should rest from work on the seventh day. Moses doesn't say debate the pros and cons of why they should leave wheat in the field for the poor to glean. No, Moses tells them a story about how God has been great to them and where they've come from and where God is taking them. He tells them, tell your kids the story of our people. What if our approach was more than just disciplining but discipling our children so they understand they are part of a story that God is writing What if we help our children see that they are linked to the bigger picture of Scripture that they fit into God's master plan and they can have a relationship with their Creator? We need to love God wholly. He needs to be our focus. We need to love Him fully if we want our children to do the same. So successful parents parents are going to live right, love right. Third, they're going to learn right. We see this in verse 6. Here Moses begins to really lay the groundwork for how we can pass on our faith to the next generation. And that's why he says in verse 6 that these commands must be on your heart, our hearts, before we can impress them on our children's hearts. There's a logical progression here. So first, God must be the cornerstone and foundation of our lives. We revere and obey Him because we are pursuing a love relationship with Him. Our walk with Jesus will influence our priorities, what we think about, how we order our daily lives, and yes, how we parent. It all flows from and through God and His Word. It's relational, not ritual, not rule-keeping. It's about how we connect the deepest part of our lives and our identities to God. And only then, here's the progression only when that is true for me can I then pass my faith on to my children. Pay attention to that. That's how we make our faith contagious. Not just by talking good talk, but demonstrating it through our daily walk. So, moms and dads, we must be doers of the word, not hearers only, or we do more than deceive ourselves, we deceive our children also. God's Word must be in us before it can be in them. And that's the difference between a faith that's merely taught and a faith that's caught. And a faith that takes root. Now, moms, dads, I know what you're thinking. David, I'm not perfect. Guess what? I'm not either. None of us are perfect and none of us are perfect parents. None of us have a perfect relationship with God. So what are we supposed to do then? If we're supposed to impress them on our hearts, if we're supposed to have this walk in relationship with God, if we want to pass this on and impress this on our children's hearts, what can we do as imperfect people? Well, we've got a few options there. We can try to cover up our weaknesses and hide our struggles. Or we can make excuses for and justify our difficulties and our struggles and our sins and shortcomings. And listen, both of those, those are options, but those are recipes for a lukewarm faith, a lack of commitment, And children who are more likely to walk away from church after graduation. And they will see us for the phonies that we're being. So then what's the real solution? Well, listen. Since your children are watching you like a hawk anyway. Amen? I mean, our, our kids are watching us. Since they're watching our lives anyway, let them see us admit our weaknesses. Let them hear us ask God to help us be better parents and better spouses. Invite them along the journey of discipleship as you strive to think, act, and be more like Jesus. They need to see you spending time in God's Word in prayer. Let them hear you confess your sins and ask for forgiveness. Model for them what it looks like to admit you're wrong, apologize, and try to make it right. The Bible says no one is perfect. None of us are going to keep all of God's commands. God doesn't expect us to master His Word before we begin to impress it on the hearts of our children. What He wants us to do is invite them along this relational adventure of following Jesus. Let them see us as moms and dads overcoming our own obstacles and fears. Let them see us pursuing a deeper relationship with Jesus, striving to reject the materialism of our culture. We're not going to always get it right. we can show them that we are struggling and we are trying, that we're fighting for our marriages, that we admit when we're wrong, that we're trying to give up bad habits in exchange for good disciplines. Let them see that God hasn't just written a story in the Bible. He's writing a story in our lives right now. And He wants to write that story in their lives as well. That's a gift. And that's what Moses is talking about here. The importance of the Word of God, the power of prayer, we cannot underestimate those. And if we expect to raise godly children, we need to be striving to be godly parents. If we want to disciple them, they need to see that we first are also disciples of Jesus Christ. Only then, only as we are learning right, as we are in the Word of God and in prayer, as we are coming to church and going to Bible study, as we are striving to follow Jesus, imperfect as we are, as we're taking maybe two steps forward and one step back but we're pointing in the right direction, only then, when we're learning right, can we last lead them right. And that's what the remaining two verses, three verses are about. Successful parents lead right. Now, These verses tell us that we are to repeat. Maybe your translation says diligently teach the Word of God to our children. What the Hebrew word there means is to wet or sharpen, like a whetstone. Like you're sharpening a knife, an awl, a sword. Okay, Something that penetrates. And the point is that our training is to penetrate deeply into the hearts and minds of our children. We are to surround them and saturate them with the Word of God so that they can be sharp and discerning when it comes to building their lives on the foundation of biblical principles. We're sharpening them. We're letting the Word of God pierce their hearts. We're saturating them with it. In our Old Testament reading, in those seven verses we hear seven times That we are to pass on our faith to the next generation. Seven times in seven verses. It says that we are commanded to teach our children so those yet to be born will know the Lord, his praiseworthy acts, his might, and the wondrous works he has performed. Don't you want your children to grow up continually amazed at their heavenly Father? With all that he does, with how much he loves them? Don't you want them to pursue a lifestyle of spiritual discovery where their identity is based on their relationship with Jesus Christ and they're being guided by His Spirit and truth? Isn't that what you want? We should want our children to have a sense of passion that will motivate them to do what Jesus did. So how can we as parents week in and week out incite that wonder? Provoke a sense of spiritual discovery and fuel That spiritual passion. Listen, it takes more than Sundays and Wednesdays at church. Those are great tools in our toolbox, but it takes so much more. Notice in these verses that neither Moses nor the priests ever assume the responsibility for passing on the faith to the next generation. That responsibility lies with moms and dads. It's our responsibility to lead our kids to obey all that God's Word says. We are primarily responsible for cultivating the soil of our children's hearts, to plant the seeds of the gospel, to help those seeds take root and produce the fruit of the Spirit. That's our job description. And here, to give us some practical ways we can get our hands on this, Moses lays out some rhythm and routine for us, a structure by which we can lead our children. We we learn best with structure, don't we? With, with repetition, with routine. That's, that's why kids in school have agenda books. That's why parents, we have traditions around holidays. That's why teachers need structured organization in their classrooms. That's why they repeat and review and test things. We learn best that way. And so Moses instructs the people of God to work within the natural rhythms, the natural framework of life to help their children learn about God be captivated by him. So let's consider for a few minutes how our families might establish a rhythm, as Moses outlined, centered around sitting down and going out and laying down and getting up. And I've, I've talked about this before. None of this is new, but this is so helpful. This is just, I love this. It's such a great way to remind yourself of these things and to have something that you can really put your hands on. So he first tells us, when you sit in your house, think about that as the mealtime. Mealtime, Because in ancient Israel, if you're sitting in the house, what are you probably doing? You're sitting around the table and you're eating. Now, we all know the studies that show how healthy and helpful it is for kids to have at least one meal a day with the family around the table. It just does so much good for them. And I know in today's fast-paced culture, it is so tempting. And sometimes you just have to do it. You have to grab that quick meal on the road from this practice to that practice or whatever. I get that. I understand how tempting it is. You're worn out, you're exhausted, you just want to put something on the TV and eat in front of the TV. But we need to reclaim as much as we can. Let's start with a few meals a week. Let's reclaim that meal time as a natural part of our day that parents can allow us to assume the role of a teacher. Right? We can take on the role of the teacher at dinner time to specifically target certain truths and establish core values. The Faith at Home Center, by the way, is a great resource there in the atrium, that big wooden wall with all the paper on it. I encourage you, if you've not looked at that or it's been a while, look through there. There's some great resources that can help you do just that or it can point you to other tools you can use to help make those meal times meaningful and intentional times of instruction. Uh, there's mealtime. Then there's drive time. okay? As I call it drive time when you, when you walk along the road. Of course, they didn't drive back then, but... That's our equivalent. I don't think many of us are walking many places together as a family. Travel time is so convenient for stimulating the informal conversation with your kids. You know, where you can kind of let them set the agenda. It's a relatively undistracted time where parents, you can work on building that relationship with your kids. And you can think of your role there more as a friend. Okay, it's like a friend and you're just interpreting life together with your kids by God's word. Just kind of unpacking the day, dreaming, thinking about things, making plans, just just a sort of an unstructured conversation. But listen, kids, that means you've got to take the earbuds out. And you've got to put down the the tablet or the phone. Moms and dads turn off the radio and spend that time in the car, whether it's 10 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it is, just engaging the heart of your child in conversation. Then there's bedtime. When you lie down, that's pretty obvious. Okay? Now Parents, I know, especially as your kids get older, older, it's tempting just to kind of send them off to bed. And we miss out on that bedtime. And, and you know, if you've got a teenager, soon to be a teenager, you probably roll their eyes at the thought of this. You're tucking them into bed. Go sit on the foot of their bed and just use that as an opportunity to sort of debrief the day, right? Your Your role there is a counselor. You're listening to your child's heart. And there's something about that bedtime and the safety of their room that they can some of those defenses just sort of melt away and they can open up with you. And you can debrief and reflect on things, the highs, the lows. It's also a great time for a Bible story or a prayer together. And then if you have bedtime, then you've got morning time, right? When you wake up. So mornings, they give us that blank page, right? We can kind of have a fresh start as a family. Uh, and, and listen, I know you may only have a brief moment with your kids before they get to get off to school or you got to get off to work. But whether it's spoken or written, maybe it's just a note you stick in their lunchbox, take a moment to give your kids a sign of encouragement with their breakfast. Right? You're using this, your, your role here in the morning is like a coach. And you're sending your team out to the greatest game they'll ever play. And listen, every day your kids go out that door into the world, it's an important game. And you want them to win that game every day. So, what do you say? What kind of fuel do you give them so that they can deal with whatever they're going to face that day? How can you encourage them and inspire them? So it's like you're a coach and you're instilling a sense of value and purpose in their hearts. Now, you may find one or two of these easier to do than the others. And and moms and dads, you may find that each of you kind of gravitate toward one or the other, a drive time, or it's just the way you interact with your kids. That's fine. Play to your strengths. Take advantage of whatever those opportunities are. Again, the point of this is it's looking for those intentional moments in the natural rhythm of your day. So it's not about trying to you know, bend over backwards to make something happen that isn't. It's about using that natural rhythm of your day to spend time with your kids, to be creative, to be intentional, to shape and mold their hearts to know and follow Jesus. And you may be overwhelmed at the thought of doing all this. Pick one. Say, so you know what? We're going to just focus on bedtime. We're going to be more intentional at bedtime about praying together or reading a Bible story. or Yeah, we're going to, we're going to turn off the radio in the car. We're going to talk at drive time. I'm going to focus on that. Pick one of those and work on it. The point is these daily rhythms, alongside the weekly rhythm of coming to church, the, the annual rhythms of the holidays and the celebrations that we engage in. Again, it's about being interactive. It's about being intentional. It's about shaping your child's heart to love and follow Jesus more. Moms and dads, what are your parenting goals? How are you measuring your success? Here's one way. How would you feel if your child grew up to be the kind of Christian you are right now? Something to think about. I hope in this message you've been inspired. I hope that you have been inspired to be intentional and focused and creative, not just in raising your children, but discipling them. And I hope you'll go back and read that Old Testament reading, Psalm 78 there. That that needs to be our rallying cry and our challenge as parents. And this passage in Deuteronomy is our commission and our strategy for how we can do that. How can we make sure the next generation know and love and are following the Lord better than we do? Because none of us have arrived. Amen? And maybe you've made some parenting mistakes. Maybe some pretty bad ones. I want you to know that there is forgiveness. There is help. There is renewal through Christ. But we have to first ask, is everything right with my relationship with the Lord? Because mom and dads, it begins with us. We can't lead our children where we're not going. Where are you in your relationship with God? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? You can't disciple your children if you're not a disciple. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? If you don't, if there's any doubt in your mind, I would love nothing more than when we stand to sing or even after the worship service, if you want to pull me aside and say, hey, David, I want to talk to you, I would love nothing more than to help you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that God is your Father, that you are a disciple of His so that you can lead your children to do the same. I would love to talk with you about that today. Maybe God is laying something else on your heart. Maybe He's leading you and your family to join this church and say, I want to be part of this church family. This is where I want to help my children to know and love and follow Jesus. This is where I want us to worship and serve together. We would love to talk with you about that. Maybe for you, you just need to renew yourself as a parent. You say, God, I just, I just need you to forgive me. And he's, He wants to forgive you. He will forgive you freely. And say, God, I just want you to help me. Help me be the parent. Help me to be the mom, the dad, the grandparent that you would have me to be. I want to disciple my children, my grandchildren. I don't want to just get them through school and out of the house. I want to shape their hearts to follow Jesus. The altar is open. I'll be standing down here as we sing. Let's stand and let's pray and sing together. Father, we are so thankful that Your Word not only gives us the principles and the truths that we need to build our lives on, but You give us the tools to build our lives on those foundations. And I pray, Lord, that we would be humble, that we would be teachable, that we would not be afraid to ask for help and to admit where we're weak. God, help us to live lives of integrity with our families. They already see all of our our warts and bumps and bruises and and the ugliness of of, of our lives sometimes, God. So just help us to be honest and real. Help us to be forgiving. God, help us to be patient with one another and bear with one another. And help us to walk together in the same direction, following Jesus. God, whatever You're speaking to people today, I pray they would not only hear Your Word, but do Your Word and be obedient to Your call. It's in Jesus' name we pray.